On this episode of Ride the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I looked through the smoldering remains of the Aaron Rodgers-Green Bay Packers relationship. Can it be solved and can it be reborn? We discussed that along with our Offensive Rookie of the Year best bets and sleepers. Then lane number two, full primer of the NBA play-in tournament with about 10 days left in the regular season in both conferences. Then we close out the show with John Means, the Baltimore Orioles, throwing the most unique no-hitter in Major League Baseball history. And we also have Albert Pujols being released, designated for assignment by the Los Angeles Angels. We take a look at his 20-plus year career and where it goes next. All that coming up on Ride the 3x3. I'm Russ Heltman. My host is Patrick Fetch. And you can catch us on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and give us five stars. Subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get in the lane, number one. Rolling in the lane number one on the, another live edition of Ride the 3x3. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined as always by my co-host, Patrick Fetch, across the line here on the beautiful service known as StreamYard. Love using it for our live show each and every Monday and Thursday night. Pat, it's a little dreary here in Northwest Ohio. How is How are things uh, down south? A classic Cincinnati weather day. It was Beautiful in the morning, started storming a little bit, then it was beautiful again. Now it's just like some, yeah, dreary, overcast type feeling. So definitely a classic spring day down in southwest Ohio. But yeah, it wasn't cold. The weather's staying respectable. So I guess that's, I can't complain too much. I'll pick my battles where I may. I'm hoping we get some kind of spring here soon. I would, I would love to not go from winter right into summer, but you know what? We're living. We're, we're living. We're, we're above ground. That's all you can ask for right now. As the uh, the Green Bay Packers try to stay above their graves for the 2021 season, the Rodgers fallout is uh, is, is smoldering. The the uh, the flames are still bursting, and we are going to check in on that situation along with our Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, best bets and long shot. Maybe we'll do Defensive Rookie of the Year next week to tie up that one. And then lane number two, six games left roughly throughout the NBA schedule. We're going to take a peek at the seven through 10 seed playing tournaments in each conference. Look at who is jockeying for a position in the final 10 days or so of the season. And then John Meats, he means business, Pat. Guy tossed a no-hitter, the rarest no-hitter of all time, over 220,000 MLB games. This one stands alone in its uniqueness. We'll get to that along with Albert Pujols. I, I said the Pat right when he logged on. Wicked Wish of the West has been banished out West by the Los Angeles Angels. Quite the uh, differing 10-year stretches between uh, the 2000s version of Albert Pujols and the decade plus he spent with the Los Angeles Angels. We'll close things out with that story. But Pat, the Rodgers fallout. We start there in lane number one. The standoff is still going strong. Had Adam Schefter reporting today that the Packers are likely going to be adding an extra veteran quarterback for many camps at least, or possibly training camp if Aaron Rodgers were to continue this uh, this little spat into the July months. I'm, I'm amazed that we have gotten to this point and it has kind of just, just boiled over, but it, it, it kind of feels like there's nowhere else to go right now. We're not going to see a move get done before June 1st because of salary cap considerations. The Packers would actually, I think, have to pay money. They would actually owe money on the salary cap if they dealt Aaron Rodgers before June 1st. So that's just not really uh, going to happen. And it just feels like 
there's going to be Rogers friends coming out here saying he's angry or Rogers friends coming out there saying he's not as angry as he seems. We're getting all these different smoke screens in the media, whether it's Brett Favre and his comments earlier today, or former Packers fullback, John Kuhn and his comments on the Zach Gelb show who Pat, he's pretty confident. John Kuhn is that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer. Once we get to week one, he said quote 70 to 75% chance. He sees Aaron Rodgers sticking in green Bay. Me and you might be living, Russ, but the Packers are just surviving. They're doing everything they can to just stay above water. And how about that Schefter report today, too, that he pretty much fabricated all of the drama on draft day just to get all of the extra buzz and attention on that? Did you see that? Well, yeah, he fed. Yeah, I, well, I assume I didn't see that exact report. That's a lightning from you, but I, I assume that considering he fed a little like breadcrumb to each reporter, it was kind of sad, honestly, the way the way he was right. stringing our guys along there. Absolutely insane, but I. Aaron Rodgers in the Packers is going to go down as just one of the most insane drama-filled relationships ever. I mean, Jerry Krause is not the right word because unlike Michael Jordan, uh, Aaron Rodgers has not won six of the last eight championships. And so I do sort of look at from the Packers side and go, hey, you know, what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again in not getting, you know, getting the same results. That's all Aaron Rodgers has been good for recently is sure. He's getting some division championships, but what are those good for? We're not flying those in Lambeau field. And he's got the, he's got to the NFC championship back to back years, Pat. I wouldn't scoff at that. I'm not scoffing at it, but he's not winning it. And I'm sure that, you know, apparently the front office doesn't see that as something that's good enough, even though that there's plenty of questions on the roster. So Matt LaFuller is either going to go down as just the worst coach ever and whatever the gm's name is just an impossible name for gudekunst gudekunst it's like the most it's the most midwest born with a cheese curd in his hand (laughs) how do you just how do you alienate aaron Rodgers? like they should be kissing the feet of aaron Rodgers. two young guys who are going to get in there and just ride the coattails of what Rodgers could do for him for years they never lose their jobs with, with Rodgers riding off in the sunset form. It should have been the easiest decision that they've ever made, yet somehow they're just making it so complicated and so hard. Maybe they see something internally that we just don't see. You know, Brett Favre, while he could sling around, had a magical arm. He wasn't maybe the perfect quarterback at the end to make a sort of Super Bowl run at the time. Maybe Aaron, they're just seeing some of the same things where he's kind of just a reckless gunslinger at this point and not really the hyper elite quarterback they need the Tom Brady-esque precision or the Patrick Mahomes-esque you know top end level while he's a gunslinger and he's great and he'll win a lot of regular season games I don't know I'm trying so hard to see this from the Packers point of view and it is extremely difficult because of pretty much any other team in the entire NFL that's not the the Chiefs and the Bucks with two of the greatest other quarterbacks of all time would be salivating of the opportunity to have Aaron Rodgers just for a single season so for the for the this to happen for them to let this happen. I just don't understand. Right. And, and it's it, right it's where I was last like time. They have, it's not like they, they have Trevor Lawrence waiting in the wings here. We don't really know what Jordan love is. They didn't get to see any legitimate reps from him in, in, in meaningful training camp. It was a condensed training camp, no spring ball. They had whatever the, they had no preseason games obviously last year. So you, you have Jordan Love, who was the third-string quarterback. People, let's remind the, the folks here, Tim Boyle was the second-string quarterback for the Green Bay Packers last year. That's how far that front office, that coaching staff, felt like Jordan Love had to go. And GM Brian Gunekunst, <laughs> it's just hilarious having to say that name, <laughs> uh, said, quote, like, they, 
they are not yet sure what they have in Jordan Love. And he said, like, basically, there wasn't enough time for them to know exactly where they are or where they stand with their 20th, with the quarterback they spent, what, the 22nd overall pick in the draft with. Because, quote, obviously, we think the world of Jordan and where he's going to grow and develop. Gunnikun said after the draft is from Rob Demofsky's great article on ESPN.com. Quote, I think it's pretty early to kind of be able to tell you that because obviously with no preseason games last year and no spring, we have a lot of confidence in his talents and his work ethic and where he's going to go, but it's a little early for that. That was basically dancing around saying we cannot have Jordan Love captain this Super Bowl-ready roster next season. And that's kind of where I – I get. I am with you, Pat. I think the fact that the Packers didn't didn't recognize the the reasoning or the idea of letting Green Bay's greatest quarterback talent ever, arguably the guy that's been the face of your franchise, made you billions of dollars over his decade plus long career, that you're going to maybe be drafting his replacement. Like for example, Pat, at your job, 80, 80 Acres Farms, perfect perfect timing right here. Wearing the wearing the the sweater. If your job or if you're, if your boss said or didn't let you know that he was hiring your replacement and then you just dropped it on your doorstep what the day you walk in to, to work one day you're probably not going to be too happy so i think people can relate to aaron Rodgers' situation here especially when I, i'm sure you're very good pat I, and correct me if i'm wrong here but aaron <laughs> Rodgers was the best guy at his job in what he does in his profession and they still took a player over him. So I get that he was declining in the whatever QBR last year, but it was Aaron Rodgers. He had one year under a new system, second year in that new system. The man goes out there, tosses 48 touchdowns, wins his third MVP. So the, the talent I don't think was falling off. It was more so the fact that he had to get integrated into this new scheme he was learning under Matt LaFleur. Once that happened, it's taken off. And a evaluator from the NFC in Rob Domofsky's article said he probably still has four good years left worth a second and two first-round picks. I just – the calculation was such a mistake by the Packers to go get a quarterback, not only a quarterback, but a guy that you can't just slot right in there confidently if Aaron Rodgers were to go AWOL like they should have expected him to do when you betrayed him on draft night in 2020. And that, that quote you had was so damning though, about him saying they don't know what they have in Jordan Love yet. That's the worst thing that you can say. If I'm a Packers fan, I'm saying, why are you getting rid of Rodgers then if you don't know what you have in Jordan Love? What I want to hear is Jordan Love is Patrick Mahomes, right? I want to hear Jordan Love is going to transcend football. He's going to be something we've never seen in Green Bay. He's an incredible talent, and we just cannot afford to not have him on the field. That's what I'd want to hear. So unless it's just a massive smokescreen from Gutekunz, uh saying all those things about Jordan Love, I mean, that it has to be an extremely um, just awful thing to hear if you're a Packers fan, something that I absolutely would not want to hear from my GM, the one who's in the main decision maker in this absolutely crucial franchise-changing decision. Because if Jordan Love does not work in Green Bay, what was this all for? <laughs> what was this all for? You absolutely squandered the last few years of Aaron Rodgers, then refusing to get him talent, refusing to get him weapons, already planning for a replacement that doesn't work out, using extremely high draft capital, disrupting the trajectory of a team. You couldn't handle it worse. And didn't they didn't they extend Rodgers before the 2019 season? Or it was either... It might have been the, the offseason before. That's but regardless, they were they were less than 18 months 
from ex- removed from extending the guy. He has, a, he has a contract that runs through 2023, the same year that Jordan Love's fourth year, the f- most important year of a rookie contract is. Like, what are we doing here? Who thought this through? Nobody, clearly. And as a Steelers fan, who's, they've been holding on to Big Ben for better or for worse, for dear life. You know, Ben will play until he's 55 if he wants to. And so I don't even – I think I just assume That's kind that of the flip have- side of this argument where you're a little hesitant about keeping Big Ben now. But I think you would have rather – like wouldn't you have rather the Steelers you're, – you're happier the Steelers went this route as opposed to taking Mason Rudolph when they did, handing him the reins two oh years too early, and then you're, you're like, wow, we just kicked out Big Ben. And then Big Ben – I mean, that guy wasn't going to retire. He would have gone somewhere else. So it's a it's a delicate dance. But again, I, 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 I Big Ben has caused me a ton of pain as a Bengals fan. He is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but he is not even – I wouldn't even put him oh, close wow. to the Aaron Rodgers level. And that's just what makes this so crazy, Pat. I brought up the, perf- the, the analogy with, with the workplace and the fact that this guy is the best option at the workplace and he's getting pushed out. Not not a great – you don't want to hear that if you're the boss, right? That is just not the feedback you want to hear from what people think about it. So, yeah, it is absolutely insane. There is – how two sides that we mentioned the Steelers and the Packers can be on such opposite spectrums of how they're approaching a franchise quarterback. I mean, I am under the assumption that when you have a guy – And both out, still so successful, which is crazy. Like, Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you would ever want to push someone out for every – what does this say to free agents? I mean, Green Bay is a hard enough place to go anyway. You want to be, I think, a loyal sort of team, a loyal franchise. You stick behind your guys. You're just going to throw Aaron Rodgers to the wasteland? How are you ever going to lure someone to come play for you? You're just going to have to build through the draft uh, incredibly. I wonder if the, if, the, if the Packers currently on the roster have any issue with this or if it's – kind of a full tidal wave monsoon building towards the Gutekunst beach, ready to wash it all away um, in terms of everybody turning on him in the organization. I don't, we don't know that obviously as we stand right now, Gutekunst uh, was reportedly, according to Yahoo sports, they said, quote, a reconciliation between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers may not be possible. If GM Brian Gutekunst remains in his position, no move has been made there obviously so far. But what do you think about that, Pat? Do the play? I feel like the players in a normal circumstance might feel like, hey, Aaron Rodgers is complaining about not having enough weapons. But this, to me, isn't about the weapons issue. It's more about the Jordan Love issue. I agree. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers has been too outwardly vocal about complaining about weapons. I mean, he's gone out of his way to praise a lot of weapons that are sort of not What so did he say right? on the McAfee show last year? He's like, you know, it'd be, it might be nice if we drafted him wide receiver haven't done one haven't taken one since javon walker in 02 so it might be that might be nice to take one first round receiver i think that that's the most grumbling he's made and it was it was the classic facetious monotone uh little wink wink dry rogers humor which was fine is that, i didn't think is, it was moaning right I, I don't think that's complaining or i don't think that's unnecessary this is a guy being honest on a radio show that's what i want from the people i root for from athletes i think it's candid it's honest and it's refreshing he's like yeah I'm a quarterback. It would be fun to have some ultra-talented wide receivers to throw the ball to. Sue me for saying it, right? So if you're a GM and if you're the just, you know, brain trust of the Packers and you want to take offense to Aaron Rodgers feeling that way, well, you shouldn't be in your role anyway. You shouldn't be concerned about that. You should be listening to him, which they clearly aren't even listening to him. So who knows if they even think he's complaining because that's what Aaron Rodgers' another gripe is that – I forget who it was, but there was a tight end that he had praised right uh, after a practice or after a preseason game to the media, to the Green Bay media. The next day, 
Brian Gutekunst cut that tight end. And so that's one of those things, right? And I'm just like, what, what, what are we doing here? You're not listening to me. You're at this point outwardly disrespecting me, it feels like, for you to just do something like that. So clearly they're not on the same page. Gutekunst just might not be a great people person. He just might be a little bit socially awkward, maybe. Who knows what he's like behind the scenes. But he just did not handle this one well whatsoever. I, I don't see how this doesn't end in flames one way or another for the Packers. Unless Aaron Rodgers comes back, which I think Aaron Rodgers is so petty that he'll go and win a Super Bowl just to throw it in the guy's face. Oh, man. Oh, man. This does not seem like it's going to cool down anytime soon. we got an interesting month ahead as we approach June 1st and uh, the next deadline day. Or not deadline day, but next uh, check mark in the Aaron Rodgers date saga here. As uh, yeah, Pat, you, you mentioned his frustration with Gutekunst, the the tight end. I, I think you were mentioned was that Jake Kumaro that you were talking about there. I believe it was. Yeah, and then his best friend Jordy Nelson, also released by Brian Gutekunst. That was more of a production issue. Nelson getting up there in age, but it, I don't think it it did a uh, did a lot of favors for that relationship. And then also Rob Demosky here notes the uh, the joint practice Pat with the Texans during the uh, training mm-hmm. camp of 2019. We had a uh, we had a coach and quarterback on separate pages of this one in terms of Matt Lafleur and uh, and Aaron Rodgers. Lafleur quote um, loved it said uh, said I would a hundred percent excuse me quote absolutely a hundred percent I want to do this again and then uh, Aaron Rodgers not so much quote back in twenty nineteen I wouldn't mind if they do it didn't do it for another fourteen years. Rodgers had two issues with it. Uh, one was that the offensive work wasn't of great value because of quote, quote schematically there wasn't a lot shown. And then he also said, quote, we bring a team in. I understand it, but I don't think doing live special teams drills is very smart. I think the NFL is going to take a look at that for sure. Kickoffs especially are one of the most dangerous plays in football. I don't think it's the best use of inter-squad practices. Yeah, there was uh, there's just been some burbling issues. There's been some issues for a, lot, a long time, and it's just it gets to be that way when you have a almost uh, – getting to be what are we getting 16 years that he has played in Green Bay. Brett Favre spent 16 years in Green Bay. Bart Starr spent 16 years in Green Bay. A little ominous right there as uh, as Green Bay will likely not have Aaron Rodgers for the rest of virtual offseason uh, offseason activities and he will incur some serious fines, Pat. If he misses all of mini camp, it's about $100,000 in fines and then it's uh about $30 million in forfeiture of his signing bonus where he take the full nuclear option of retiring. That's a lot of money to leave on the table if you hate one guy in the front office, especially that, like like I, like we said last week during the live, live NFL draft show, there aren't many situations in the NFL that Aaron Rodgers could step right into, especially after a trade, which would likely include a, a blue chip player from the other team where he's going to have as good a chance to win a Super Bowl as he does this season with the Green Bay Packers. A few plays away last year and uh, got to the NFC title game against the Niners in 2019. We're not going to say they were a few plays away there. There were many plays away in 2019. But they're going to try to get back and hopefully with Aaron Rodgers on board. Closing out this NFL draft topic, Pat, as we get into lane number two with the NBA uh, NBA play-in and MLB little news and notes around the no-hitter and Albert Pujols getting DFA'd. Offensive Rookie of the Year odds. we got Trevor Lawrence at 3-1. to one. Justin Fields at plus 600, Trey Lance at 8 to 1, Zach Wilson also sitting there at 8 to 1, Najee Harris at 10 to 1, Kyle Pitts at 11 to 1, Jamar Chase at 12 to 1 and then Mac Jones at uh at 12 to 1 as well. 
Who do you like out of that top group right there as your best bet? And then is there a long shot in there that I didn't mention that you think might have a little bit of a, a juicy, uh, juicy number to look at? This one was really hard for me because I wanted to pick against the grain a little bit and go off base, but it's so hard not to just choose one of those top quarterbacks for me. And right, because just, of that, like Justin Jefferson last year, he had arguably the greatest rookie season ever for a wide receiver, still couldn't win over Justin Herbert. Right. So I'm going to go with Trey Lance just because I think I got to trust Kyle Shanahan. And this is funny because with my sort of sleeper pick, I'm going to do a similar theme, but I could definitely end up on a hot takes exposed just with the chaos that has been (laughs) with the San Francisco 49ers and trading up to get their guy, Trey Lance, all of the rumors and who they were going to take, you know, basically throwing Garoppolo to the wayside at this point. I, I got to trust that Kyle Shanahan has a plan and that he saw a guy that can fit into his scheme. He saw a guy that can be productive. You got to trust that Trey Lance playing in such an offensive or an NFL offensive scheme at North Dakota State where he's under center. He's doing bootlegs. He's making those quick, you know, you never go broke making a profit type of plays is what I see mm-hmm. in the tape from Trey Lance. And I, I think I love that because I think Kyle Shanahan and the way that his motion and his bootlegs work, being able to drop the ball off to guys like Kittle and uh, Ayuk and all those guys who have break tackles and are just so dynamic with the balls in their hands, Debo Samuel. So I think it's a great fit for Trey Lance. You got to trust the talent, the coaching, the play calling. And so for all those reasons, I think that's the safest bet. And I mean, you're getting them at six to one odds right now. Thinking about Justin Fields in Chicago with the Bears, I, I don't see him having the numbers to put him in this discussion. Even though the story's great, I, I think Trey Lance will put up much better numbers than him. And then I think well, we know Matt Nagy will start Andy Dalton. We first couple weeks, <laughs> that's going to happen. We know that. Yeah. I, I I think you're probably right there. But in the same reason with <laughs> with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's going to get so many opportunities. He'll probably get the most passing attempts, and you guarantee he'll start Week One no matter what. So he he's a pretty safe bet just because of the pure counting stats that you could assume he'll put up in a healthy season. But with all that being said, I think Trey Lance has the best chance to win, best chance to make an impact. I think he could, you can look for him to have a really good t- uh, touchdown to INT ratio. That's what I'm looking for out of Trey Lance. So he's going to be my selection. Yep. That's going to be my selection from, from this. So at the six to one odds feel pretty good about it. I think he had the best. He had the best TD interception ratio you could have. What was it like twenty plus touchdowns and no interceptions? Right. So a record for most consecutive passes in a season without throwing an interception. Trey Lance, great pick there, Pat. I'm going to differ from you. That that would probably be my choice if I were going to lay uh, serious or actual cheddar on this thing. There at eight to one, Trey Lance. That's uh, that's pretty good right here. All this on OddsShark.com. That's where I'm getting these uh, these numbers. Trevor Lawrence, though, to me. At three to one, I just I don't see anyone else being like out of those top four to five guys in terms of best bets. I think he's going into a great situation. I know we've talked about Urban Meyer, but thinking and, and listening to Trent Dilfer discuss the uh, the whole uh, whole charade today on uh, on the Ryan Rosillo podcast. Great staff. He went through it, and it kind of kind of sold me. Like, all right, I think Urban Meyer has kind of kind of understands what he needs to do here. Didn't come in Johnny old same and and bring his bring his old college coaching staff with him. He's got a lot of NFL minds there. I like the Darrow Bevel offense fit for Trevor Lawrence. He's going to have weapons to use as well as a decent offensive line. It's going to be better than what Joe Burrow had last year, who I think would have won the Rookie of the Year award had he not had his left knee shredded up 
against the Washington football team. And then my number two pick, my long shot pick, Pat, I like Mac Jones at 12 to one, hovering 12 to 15 to one. It's going to come down to that training camp battle. I wouldn't place this bet right now. I'd wait to see what the early options are looking like out of Foxborough once we get to late July, early August, and see how uh, those first couple weeks of the battle between him and Cam Newton is going. But if he gets that offense down quickly like I expect him to do, they're just going to recycle what they were doing for 15, 20 years with Tom Brady at the helm. He's a very quick decision maker. He's basically molded in that same sense but we haven't seen, obviously, the winning ways, the clutch throws under pressure. We've only seen it at Alabama when he was in the best situation possible. So I think he could go to a situation in New England with great coaching, decent options on the field, although you'd like to see more talent on the outside by receiver position, let alone they do have decent spots at the tight end. So they can, they can get, get some solid weapons around him, and I think it's a solid landing spot for Mac Jones to have a chance to win Rookie of the Year and his opening campaign. And then I wouldn't sleep on Jamar Chase as well. If we're going to pick a non-quarterback out of any of these guys, I think he's going to have the volume. Already has the rapport with Joe Burrow, 20 touchdowns between that duo in 2019, a historic combination. And I just think the amount of time since now he's going to throw the ball, 78 plus percent of the time over the past two years under Zach Taylor, they have run 11 personnel with three wide receivers on the field. They're going to be tossing the ball all over the yard. A lot of high scoring games, I believe, because this offense is going to be very good, but the defense, not as much. So Jamar Chase of the non quarterbacks, I would pick there. And then Pat, probably right behind him. I'd go with your, I would go with your guy, Najee Harris. The, the production is going to be there and the volume is definitely going to be there when you take a guy in the first round like the Steelers did. I think it's really impossible to pick any of the non-quarterbacks to it's win hard, this award, yeah. truthfully. So I had, I struggled a lot there. But yeah, Najee Harris, especially with the story behind what he could do for that Steelers offense, with, with how bad they were last year, if he can carry it, be the workhorse, and take over for Ben as like the main feature in that offense, I absolutely think he could get, um, you know, almost quarterback-like votes for changing that offense. If he, if he goes for 1,500 yards on the ground, right? If he goes like 1,800 total yards, 12 touchdowns, I, I could definitely see him getting a lot of votes there, especially if the quarterbacks don't elevate to what people expect them to. I'm going to go way long shot. These guys aren't even on the board. But, I mean, we just mentioned Justin Jefferson having a historic rookie season. He couldn't even sniff Justin Herbert and what he did just from putting on the county numbers. So, that being said, there's two wide receiver selections that I think are awesome. And they are off the board. They're not the top of the board. Amari Rogers for the Green Bay Packers, who we just spent a lot of time talking about. If Aaron Rodgers does find his way back in a Green Bay Packer uniform playing quarterback for him next year, I think Amari Rodgers would be an absolute beautiful addition to his wide receiver core. One thing Amari Rodgers did was made high contested catches all over the place while he was at Clemson. His body control, his ability to adjust the football in the air is really next level elite. He doesn't need separation in order to make the catch. Really, he, he operates in that tight zone exclusively almost. And so if he gets the ability to work on his routes a little bit, play with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who knows the angles, knows how to put the ball in a place where wide receivers can adjust to it, get that rapport with him, work with him, especially since he's going to be in the slot in some mismatches, you know, away from Devontae Adams, who's always going to command double teams. He can be in an awesome position to really take off in that offense and you know go over 1,000 yards, maybe get something like – 12, 15 touchdowns, maybe that does something for him enough if, uh, you know, depending how the rest of the wide receivers shake out. But I can see him being someone with an absolute immediate 
impact and a really, really good impact at that. Uh, as long as Aaron Rodgers is the one slinging him the ball in Green Bay. <laughs> but I also think in a very similar vein, Jalen Darden, the 5'8", 5'9", 5'7", depending where you look, wide receiver out of North Texas. Okay, if you don't know him, he was an absolute star in college football last year. Just a laser out there on the football field. He's a slot wide receiver, also a return guy. He went for almost 1,200 yards and 19 touchdowns in 2020 in college football. He just couldn't be stopped. Once he gets the ball, he's extremely elusive. And I think just because he'll be in the return game as well, I think that could be really, really important. We see him get a few return touchdowns. We have him playing slot with uh, with Tom Brady. That could be absolutely incredible. So I think Jalen Darden could absolutely be somebody out there. Devin Hester-esque if he's just returning punts left and right. But like you said, Russ, it's going to be impossible, going to be impossible for a wide receiver to really break through in these ranks, especially when you have all of these high-drafted quarterbacks. You're going to get so many opportunities, and they're just going to have the – you know, so much of these awards are about the story and the drama to it as well. And so right. these writers, they, they want to vote for the flair. They want to vote for a fun story that they can write about. So I, I think it's going to be impossible to take over one of these quarterbacks. But if all these quarterbacks flounder – you could definitely find – it could very well be someone completely off this board. Right, it could be. All right, moving on to lane number two, NBA play-in tournament primer. We got a lot of teams in action tonight, a lot of things up in the air. In the Eastern Conference, as we stand today, we got the Hornets at the eight seed, Miami Heat at number seven, and then the Washington Wizards sitting at the 10, set to face off against the Indiana Pacers at the nine seed. Pat, in the East, it doesn't seem to me like we have a lot of drama in terms of those final four teams. The Raptors have to pull off a win tonight against the Washington Wizards, which they are uh, doing pretty well so far uh, in the first half of action against Washington. Looks like they hold a 60-51 to halftime lead. They're three games back of the Wizards currently in the Eastern Conference standings. But to me... It's just kind of about where these teams shake out and who has to face Washington, which has been on fire lately. Russell Westbrook has been out of his mind, going to secure a fourth season of his career, averaging a triple-double. He's been playing lights out for the high-scoring Washington Wizards as uh, as they sit at 30 and 36, just a half game back of Indiana. And they are both two and a half and three games back, respectively, of the Charlotte Hornets. I don't think there's that much to, to gauge here at the bottom, but at the top where you have the Hawks at uh, 37 and 30, the Celtics at 35 and 31, the Heat tied with them at 35 and 31, all three of those teams to go along with the Knicks as well, who have a brutal five-game uh, closing season road trip coming up. If they go one and three, two and three, one and four in that stretch, they could go from the four seed all the way into the play-in if Miami, Boston, and Atlanta keep winning like they do. As a fan, these playing games in the East are pretty disgusting in my eyes. I absolutely don't want to see the Pacers play, you know, quote unquote playoff basketball game. Uh, I, the Wizards have been very exciting just because of the sort of renaissance we've seen out of Russell Westbrook. So it would be fun to see him sort of have his revenge against the league that's really uh, sort of discounted as somebody who could be the elite star anymore just because of the efficiency numbers and everything. And when he's really moving the ball like he is, he can be exciting. But the East, the East play-in picture doesn't really excite me too much. What I am excited for is your Hornets. I do think LaMelo, seeing him in playoff ball, giving them a chance to go 
in an extended series against the Nets or the Sixers or one of those top teams in the East, I think could be extremely exciting. I think they get out of the play in first, which I feel really good about the Hornets. Really, if I'm picking one of those four teams between the Heat, Hornets, Pacers and Wizards who are uh, holding down that play in game status right now, I think the Hornets are probably my favorite team out of that bunch, especially with Omelo back on the court. So didn't think I would be saying that at this point in the season, but they're extremely (laughs) fun. They're feisty, and I think they could easily steal two games against a team like the Sixers. Maybe not the Nets if they're getting healthy. They're just so dynamic. Maybe that would be tough to defend in any sense of the way for the Hornets. But I definitely think they could be a pesky team and probably a team that one of those top ones don't want to see and have to deal with because they probably see a lot better matchups with those other three teams involved. But it didn't – it is – the playing game is going to be very interesting. I, I In the East, I'm seeing some teams that are definitely not playoff worthy who might sneak into a playoff series that they don't belong in. That being said, I am excited to see just how it plays out in reality. But right now, it's not it's not exciting me all that much. A little East. gross. A little gross with those teams at the bottom. Western Conference, a little bit more palatable with uh, the star power in terms of the Trailblazers, Grizzlies, Warriors, and Spurs currently slotted as the 7 through 10 teams right now. Portland three and a half up on Memphis, so they're pretty much locked in, and they're eyeing the team ahead of them in the Los Angeles Lakers, who are going to be without LeBron James for the rest of this weekend, likely to return early next week, but that's going to leave them without him and his services for three games over this crucial stretch with about seven games left on their schedule. Portland sitting there at 37 and 29, only a half game back of the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, I believe they do uh, the teams play in the last couple of days of the season. So that's going to decide the tiebreaker. That's going to be huge. They are three and a half up on the Grizzlies who are in a war right now. Three and a half games separate the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans at the 11 seed. We got them uh, half game up on the Warriors. Warriors a game and a half up on the Spurs, who have uh, have been really struggling, Pat. Five losses in a row. They are without uh, a lot of key guys in terms of injury. DeMar DeRozan is kind of a one-man band out there right now. They're four and six in their last ten. Meanwhile, the New Orleans Pelicans win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. They're five and five with our guy Stan Van Gundy. Man in the ship over the last 10, but somehow, some way, they keep nipping at the heels of the San Antonio Spurs for that 10 spot. Come on, New Orleans. I'm going to Scion, please. I don't want, yeah. I, I like DeMar DeRozan, but I don't need to see any more DeMar DeRozan. I mean, yeah, I like DeMar DeRozan, but I love Zion and I want to watch <laughs> Zion actually play basketball. Okay. I want to watch BI and Brandon Ingram, that Pelicans team. I mean, we felt, I think it's kind of the future of the NBA with Zion. So I really, really want to see them break into this playoffs and talk about star power. There's a potential that we'll have Zion and the Pelicans, Steph Curry and the Warriors, John Morant and the Grizzlies, and then the Lakers with LeBron and AD. So that would be an absolutely an electric play-in circuit that they would run through. I, I love how salty LeBron is getting about it. Absolutely hilarious. Maybe you shouldn't have such a, a lay GM with his bum bench getting, you know, you can't be injured then, buddy. You can't let this happen. This It's hilarious. That would be an Andre Drummond over Marcus All. It's not worked out very well. The, the, what sucks for the NBA is if LeBron plays in that playing game, that might be the most watched game of the entire NBA playoffs. But if they lose, no one's going to watch it. 
Yeah, then they're if gone. They, if they, okay, so that's to say, if the Lakers play in it and lose, that might be the most watched game in the whole playoffs was the play-in game. And I don't think the NBA wants that. That being said, it would make incredible theater. I would absolutely enjoy it. I definitely would be rooting against LeBron in that game. That would be just an amazing, amazing thing to happen for all sports media and people who like to talk about sports. But it's going to be very, very exciting. Obviously, I'm a Steph Curry fan. Love the Warriors. So hopefully – we can see Steph go nuclear in one of those games. Either way, it's going to be drama-packed, filled. The The West is definitely delivering. And it, I guess that's been the way. The West has been so deep for so many years. We've almost needed this. Just take a couple. If only we could take two spots out of the East and give them to the West. I think that would just solve all of our problems. Or make just play it one whole, to 16. Like, right, exactly. They're, play the whole they're already league. making these guys. like they, they put these guys through hell this year. It's like, can we just... <laughs> I know it's a little bit asking a little bit much with the travel, but you know what? Give them, didn't extend the playoffs a little bit. I don't care. Like, give us one to 16. Let's see them all play each other. Big old bracket. Big old bracket. We're going to get the play in bracket commencing on May 18th, ending on May 21st with the first round of the playoffs commencing on May 22nd. Only 10 days remaining in the NBA regular season. A lot of days left in the MLB regular season and a lot of starts left in the season for John Means, who is shaping up to be the Baltimore Orioles ace that they probably never thought they'd get in the, I believe, 11th round draft pick of means a guy who doesn't really wow with power, Pat. We talked a couple weeks ago about the strikeout rates, the uh, the massive amounts of, of high volume, high power pitching we've seen this year. Not John Means. Got a, got a low 90s sinker, got a little bit of a Got a little bit of an up-and-end fastball. You got the changeup worked in there a little bit. You got the curveball in there a little bit. Matching pitches. Greg Maddox-esque by John Means, who went out there and pitched a gem of a no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners. 6 nothing victory on Wednesday afternoon over, uh, over Seattle in what was the most unique no-hitter of all time. It's not even close, Pat. John Means... Got out all 27 batters, but he had one batter reach in the third inning on a wild pitch third strike. He got the first, and it became the first no-hitter in the history of Major League Baseball to have all 27 batters get out and not have a single air hit by pitch or walk in the entire game. Over 220,000 games, Pat. First time in MLB history. A drop third strike. I mean, that should be an error on the catcher, and so that right. should be should be an asterisk on that. But that's absolutely insane. Yeah, he 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 throws a no hitter, not a perfect game because he struck someone out with a pitch that was so nasty. Even his catcher couldn't even get in front of it with his entire body. So <laughs> John means what a performance, right? I mean, you mentioned it's the most unique no hitter. I guess not quite a no hitter because of the blown call. But the only thing that relates to it in my mind is obviously the uh, uh, what, what was his first name, Galarraga. Armando Galarraga back in 2010. Yep. Right. Armando Galarraga, who, who got Jim Joyce that first base with the blown call. Really the most tragic, almost perfect game of all time. If you're John Means, I think you take a lot of solace in at least having that no hitter by this game, even though it was a drop third strike and whatever silliness happened, versus having a situation that happened to Armando Galarraga where Jim Joyce absolutely blows the call at first base and just ruins everything for. For him, I, that that is absolutely the most brutal way to go down to go down in history for right. him. Twenty ten, Galarraga, Jim Joyce, like you mentioned, the umpire on that call ruled Cleveland's Don, Jason Donald safe on an infield grounder with two outs in the ninth inning. Galarraga mm-hmm. and Max Scherzer are two of thirteen pitchers, Pat, to lose a perfect game 
with two outs in the ninth. 10 of the 13 allowed a hit, while Scherzer and Hooks Wilts hit a batter. So uh, <laughs> our guy Armando Galarraga standing there alone with the uh, the uh, the was it what did they put in parentheses? Jim Joyce is that what you said? He got Jim Joyce. Right. I, I love that Max Scherzer one too because that's the most pinnacle Max Scherzer game. Like he had a perfect game, but then just pluck someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, the I dude was Tabata, and he leaned in with the elbow, didn't he? Got right. He right. In there. He did. He did. But I want to imagine that he meant to do it or like in my mind and revisionist history, I just imagine he threw it right at his jaw because that's what Max Scherzer does. He's just an aggressive pit bull out there. He just takes no prisoners. He's going to kill everybody. And he didn't even want the perfect game. He just wanted to make a statement that day. And that's what Max Scherzer does. That was beautiful. <laughs> it's just it's a nice in the box score, right? You, you can have a dribbler to third base. That's an infield single. But Forever, that's a screaming line drive off the wall in left field. It hit the wall too hard. You couldn't get to second base. So that's what I like to imagine in some of these. It's the great thing about baseball. We, and we can call it a perfect game. We might as well. John Means was pretty much perfect in that entire matchup. It's one of one, Pat. It is the most perfect it is. game. What do you, it's the most sure. – I think most, most unique – I think that sounds cooler than perfect, honestly. Especially in baseball, it's baseball. It, it, it's a it's a game of unique stories and weirdness and just quirky things. And it's it perfect. It just belongs in the lore of baseball to have something like this happen. And, and only in baseball, after 150 years, do you still get things that have never happened again ever. And it's just a beautiful yep. thing. And the player yeah, background I, meets the weird kind of performance with Means being a 46th round draft pick. In 2011, those uh, that round no longer exists in the MLB draft. <laughs> he was high school teammates, Pat, with Bubba Starling, the third overall pick in 2011. Made it to the majors as a 46th round pick before the third overall pick in the draft. Just a little note right there from ESPN. And he also threw a no-hitter and low-A ball with Delmarva. His brother, Jake, was selected in the 22nd round of the 2019 draft. And uh, he's also got a wife who was a former professional soccer player Means, man, this wasn't some one-off either. He's 4-0 on the season, 1-3-7 ERA. This guy's a Cy Young contender, like legitimately. Dude, Means has been doing it for a few years now. John Means has been really, really good, at least shown very dynamic stuff. He has been stuck with the Orioles, therefore getting shelled up a little bit time and time again. But mm -hmm. he is a very, very good pitcher and someone they can be very proud of, someone they'll probably trade for assets down the line because that's the position the Orioles are still in. But it, it is super exciting. I and mean, if you watch the highlights, too, we didn't even give up really any hard-hit balls. I mean, the wind definitely was one. doing it. Was one 195-plus-mile-per-hour ball came off that bat. The, the wind was definitely doing some favors in this game. There were a couple hits that looked like they might threaten for home runs or at least threaten some, like, deep outfielders, but really just died even short of the warning track. So – there were a couple pop-ups that did some weird things in the game too. So, I mean, with every perfect game comes a little bit of luck. What are you going to be mad at the guy? Cause he had great weather going his day, but you know, it didn't even force any of his fielders to really make any challenging plays. I think there was one really like hard hit ball to the third baseman that you might've mentioned a line drive that was snatched up, but no, no miracle plays needed. No Dwayne wise, you know, the snow cone coming off the bench and reserve in center field to help Mark <laughs> Burley out. You know, there was no Joey Votto having to make a, a fielder's choice play because Homer Bailey forgot to cover first base in order to save his one no-hitter. No hitter. So, you know, with all that happening, John Means pretty much pitched as perfect as you could pitch. So, happy for him. And I think I mentioned it to you yesterday. I texted you yesterday. I think the real theme of this season of baseball is it's extremist baseball. Yep. Right? You're, you're either getting the Cincinnati Reds who are going to go out there and hit – 
10 home runs in a game with the Cubs in Great American Ballpark, play 13 to 12 ball games, or you're going to get no hitters left and right from teams. You know, we've already got three on the season, right? Is that four, three, three? Yeah. So I, I, I do think this, and I have a theory, right? I'm going to relate this to the NFL real quick. Uh, about 10 years ago at this point in the early 2010s, there were a couple of years where we had really bad quality football and it was almost an issue. People didn't know what to do. And what was happening was a lot of teams were trying to evolve into this modern style of football where they're trying to throw the ball around the field all game. Well, they're trying to do that with quarterbacks and the talent just not equipped for that and not capable of that. Well, as we've seen the baseball life sort of translate into this home run, walk, strike out the three per- true outcomes all the shifting, playing the analytics. Well, it brought an ugly form of baseball because, like I said, the three true outcomes, that's all you got was just a home run or a pop-up or a strikeout. There was nothing really exciting happening. Well, it seems like the game, just like football, where this influx of young quarterbacks who are really talented with great arm talent have made the game much better and much more exciting in a modern sense, that's happening in baseball. You're getting super athletes who can play all over the field, who can hit the the technology is so accessible for these guys now. Yeah. That's a good point, Pat. Yeah. They can hit the ball hard and hit it to the fence and run. They can shift play all over the field and it's making it really exciting baseball. It's, it's allowing teams to both zig and zag. You can be the Rays, have an extremely strong defensive fielding team, not really worry about your hitting, but only play matchups, platoon guys all over play with an opener pitcher not have traditional starters, or you can play like, say, the the Dodgers with five dominant starters, or maybe that's a bad example. You can play maybe like the Twins who play more traditional, right? They've got nine guys that kind of throw out there all the time. They got five true starters, kind of the way, uh, you know, the Yankees sort of play in that way with just mashers all over the field. So it's creating a dynamic where you get to pick this sort of archetype, archetype to your team that's really, really interesting. And I think it's creating just an awesome brand of baseball, especially when those two just opposing philosophies, you know, mash against each other. We saw that last year with the Rays and the Yankees and the Rays outlasting the Yankees just because of a different way of playing. And I think it's awesome. I think it's a great thing for the sport. I think all the changes, I love the extra inning rule. It's it's forcing teams to get better within the rules. And that's something baseball hasn't challenged. It's really you know, it's teams to do in a while outside of cheating creatively, which has been the only way to really get better. And so with the shifting and all these analytics and technologies, the game is finally changing for a better in a modern sense. And I, I think it's awesome. I think it's created a lot of really, really fun baseball this year. With you, Pat, I am totally with you. That was a great observation there with the correlation between the, the pitching and the, and the quarterback play. I could see that definitely. And especially when you think about how special no hitters are nowadays with Mike fires, Justin Verlander, Trevor Bauer, only since 2019, a pitcher has thrown 120 pitches, just 15 guys. Those three are, as I mentioned, and then uh, our guy, uh, our guy, John means he was right around, uh, what was it? Right around 116 pitches, something like that. So it's, it's very difficult to not only stay in these games past the fifth, sixth, seventh inning as a starter, but also be able to stay in control of those games and go a complete game and finish off a full no hitter. So that's, that makes it even more impressive in my mind. And the fact that Patty threw 26 first pitch strikes, I guess 27 batters, like 
that's unbelievable. Any better than that, it is perfect. And so it just goes to show how much great talent there is at the pitching and, and at the pitching level in Major League Baseball right now, and some talent that has fallen off, unfortunately, for Los Angeles Angels fans is Albert Pujols, who was designated for assignment today by the Los Angeles Angels, batting 198, um, 250 on base, 372 slugging, just not the same Albert that many baseball fans are used to seeing. Jared Wallace has been playing well at first base. Shohei Otani is being Shohei Otani in DH, and that means there's not really any bench playing time, any pinch hitting spots for Albert Pujols that he wants. Still wants to be a starter, Pat. Still has that pride, does not want to come off the bench. And there's rumblings that maybe our guy Tony La Russa could uh, could have a home for Albert Pujols, although that doesn't make much sense because the DH <laughs> – They get enough injuries. Yeah, the, well, the DH in uh, in Chicago, your main Mercedes, is batting 386, second-best average in the majors with five home runs, 16 RBIs, and a over one OPS. So I don't think they're going to be needing Albert Pujols' services as a starter anytime soon. And it's just it's, – it's, it was a sad finish – for a great career and one that I don't think should be tarnished because of it. One of the best, if not the best 10 year stretches in all of baseball. He spent 11 seasons with the St. Louis Cardinals hit 328, a 1.037 OPS, 445 home runs and had three MVP awards in 2005, 08 and 09. Unfortunately, those numbers tanked with the angels 10 seasons batted 256. 758 OPS, uh, just 222 homers, cut that number in half from his time with the Cardinals, although he still got over that 600 mark and is cooking along on that list, Pat. Third overall all-time in RBIs, sixth in home runs with 667. He's 14th in hits. One of the greatest players of this generation, this era, and unfortunately, like so many athletes before him, doesn't want to hang it up when the game has, uh, has started to say bye to him. And I got to tip my cap to Albert. He's still cooking, but just not going to be cooking with the Angels. Albert Pujols, I mean, a victim of just his – right now his current history and the way people remember him, he's just a victim of being too good at the time. He got paid too much, and now people want to downplay the legend he is to the game. Right, he's and still it making is, 30 mil this year for the Angels. Like, and it's, it's unfortunate how he wasn't able to perform in Los Angeles for that money, you know, especially with Mike Trout being there at the same time as he was know, there. would have been. What could have been? Ugh. What could have been right? So to give some other added perspective there, his worst season in a Cardinals uniform, I'll give his two or three worst seasons uh, as far as war is uh, concerned. He had a 5.4 war in his second season. He had a 6.8 war in his final season with the Cardinals. Those were his two worst seasons ever. And if you don't really know what that means, if that stat doesn't make a lot of sense to you, having above a five war is pretty much like elite, it, you know, a, a great player. Having something around a seven, eight war is an MVP. You know, having a 10 war is Mike Trout. He, he's pretty much the only one who's done that. Him and Mookie Betts in the one season, really the only modern players who have done that for us. So what he did in St. Louis was incredible. He had one, two, three, four, five, seven-plus war seasons in four eight-plus war seasons, including one that was nine and a half, which is really one of the greatest seasons we've had since 2000 as far as a hitter is concerned. So Albert Pujols was an absolute amazing player literally an MVP year in and year out, put up MVP type numbers for the Cardinals. 
he dropped off dramatically. His best season with the Angels was his first one, only 3.9. So you can see immediately he was not the elite player when he went out to L.A. It's sad. I, I was introduced to baseball with Albert Pujols being my number one villain, being my arch nemesis who just right with gave you. me nightmares, who every time he came up to the plate felt like he was going to ruin my day when he played my team. And I just uh, picture him at Bush Stadium, like that sea of red, him coming up, two outs, I, runner yeah. on first, and you're like, son of a bitch, this guy's going to hit a double off the wall. <laughs> if not, put one over the <laughs> yeah. riverboat in center field. So I, what's, I think that's honestly the most likely landing spot for him. You mentioned the White Sox. LaRusso was his manager when he was in St. Louis. But St. Louis being such a – uh, nostalgic franchise. I, I do think that they could sort of put their loyalty out there to Pujols, bring him back for another year, do the whole Kobe, Derek, Jeter farewell tour, let him go around the league one more time and give him a send-off that he truly does deserve. One that, right. that one that the Angels don't feel like they owe to him, but the Cardinals probably certainly do. And Well, well the I issue, mean, though, is are the Cardinals – like is where's Pujols? Is he going to play in the field? Like he no, he's going to be sent on the bench. He's He has to uh, – You think he's just he, going to accept that? He'll probably just end up accepting it well, when the phone calls don't come in. I so it's either – I mean, he can go play for the the Pirates or the, I don't know, the Mariners or the Orioles. You know, well, it's got to be an AL fun. team because he has the DH, right? He sure, yeah. So, so, so some terrible team who, who's just not going to be in position to win this year, whether it's even like the Indians who, who, who will struggle or whoever it is, but they already have it set DH in, in – Cleveland with Fran Mill, the Fran Mill. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like quarterbacks it. today's NFL. Everybody's got one now. Once you get past the draft, it's tough to it's tough to find a location. We'll see where we'll see where Albert Pujols lands. That would be kind of cool if they give him one of those. Uh, one of we those, should uh, send off with St. Louis. And it wouldn't make sense for Tony Larusa to do just something so stupid and so insane as in to bring back Albert Pujols and just like start him at first base. Or you mean, or maybe you can learn the rules. Of, of MLB, <laughs> the new rule they implemented with the the guy on second base and the and the extra innings. Yeah, that's a thing oh, now, Tony Larusa. And and if your your pitcher goes out there, you can replace the pitcher. You can bring the guy up who's supposed to bat ahead of him. You can have him run. That's a thing that you can do. That, that that's a real that's a real fact. You expect Tony Larusa to know the new rules of baseball, Russ? What are you doing? He's out there still throwing Lucas Giolito like 120 <laughs> pitches. He's out there just absolutely. And I said it. In our, in our Major League Baseball preview, spot on. I, I was spot on saying this. I said, I love the White Sox. Shout out to my brother. He says, they're the team. They're, they might be the best team in the AL. But they got Tony La Russa managing that, man. He's just ruining that team already. already intentionally, the- speaking of Pujols, he intentionally walked Pujols last week. <laughs> Not in 08. Last week he did that. He, he intentionally walked the guy slugging, what, 370? And- <laughs> <laughs> He's respect. Respect for your elders, Russ. I mean, it's... He's just one DUI away from from prison, and hopefully that happens sooner or later for White Sox fans because that man is just an object disaster of a human, let alone a baseball manager. The fact that he got another chance, the fact that the Chicago White Sox ownership reached out to Tony La Russa to manage Isn't that uh, Jerry Reinsdorf? I believe it is, is. and I didn't want to be wrong on it, but I mean – you were like, I'm gonna let Russ say. It. I'm gonna. I don't want to say. It. I'm gonna let Russ. Remember the Russ call, Jerry. What a move by Jerry. Speaking. Of, I mean, this comes full circle, Pat. We got Jerry <laughs> Krause, Brian Gutekunst, and Lane number run, and then we all get all the way back 
to his boss, Jerry Reinsdorf, with Tony LaRusso in lane number three. That was a beautiful episode. One of my one of my uh, most fun times I've had on the show. This was a great, great one here on Thursday, May 6th. For Pat Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. This has been the weekend edition of Riding a 3x3. We'll talk to you on Monday.